Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. If you would turn with me to John 6, John chapter 6. We're in the series, uh, The Reason for the Season, through the month of December. When Christmas time comes around, something that is tradition for our household is we start to watch Christmas movies. See, I'm, I'm, I'm a big movie person year-round. I love movies. I love watching movies, and Sarah in particular loves wholesome movies. Me, not so much. I like more the action. And, but, and so when it comes around Christmas time, I don't think I ever get to pick what movie we watch. We just go to Netflix and go to the Christmas section, and there's, and there's just a new Christmas movie, I swear, for every night of December. So we're always watching Christmas movies, always just, it's the season, that's what we do in the season. And uh, the other night, we put Judah down and uh, walked back into the living room, and uh, first thing out of my mouth, really, we hadn't spent any time together that whole day, you know what I'm talking about? Just don't really see your spouse throughout the day, and then you finally get the kid down, go into the living room, and without saying, hey, let's, let's look at the Word of God together, you know, how was your day? Was, what movie do you want to watch? What Christmas movie do you want to watch? You know, because I knew she was going to pick the Christmas movie. And it just dawned on me, like, that's what I'm making a Christmas season all about, is, and that, that's what we're giving all of our time to this Christmas season. It's exactly the opposite of what I'm preaching on on Sundays. And so it, it kind of just smacked me in the forehead that we just get so sucked in, myself included, we get so sucked in to the festivities when it comes Christmas time that actually Jesus becomes backburnered, if you know what I'm talking about. Jesus gets backburnered on a holiday that was designated for his arrival to come and save us. And, and so what we want to do this season is, is to actually put Jesus on the front burner and, and maybe take the images of Clark Griswold plugging in the lights and put it in the back burner or Will Ferrell playing an elf. I mean, try to put those images, as hard as it is, on the back burner and think about Jesus during... Christmas season. And so we're asking that big question, why Christmas? Because we know it's the advent of Jesus. And advent, as was said already by Diane, is, means arrival. And so Christmas is celebrating the arrival or the advent of Jesus Christ. And we're reflecting on why did Jesus advent? Why did he come here? There's a lot of reasons given in Scripture why it was necessary for Christ to come. And, and today we have a new one that we're going to be considering. Why Christmas? Because Jesus came to do the will of God. That's why Christmas. Is Jesus came to do the will of God. So we find ourselves in John chapter 6 this morning, and, and the context, we're about to pick up in verse 32, but the context leading up to that is <clears throat> Jesus has some groupies. Jesus has 
a crowd following him everywhere he goes. He'll cross the sea, and he somehow finds these people still flocking to him and wanting to come around him. And he's already, earlier on, fed 4,000 of them. Pretty good sign that you're from God, because given what he had to make do to feed 4,000, and he made it happen, and they had abundance left over, and this crowd is still following him around, and now they're seeing if he's going to do it again, okay? They're going to they're, they're gonna see if they can get another meal out of him, and they say, we need a sign. You know, sneaky. We need a sign from you. Not that they haven't already gotten one already, and they said, you know, Moses, he brought manna, bread from heaven, You think you could maybe pull something off like that? And that's kind of where we pick up, and Jesus has already done that. And we get here to John 6, verse 32, and he addresses the whole bread thing, that they're wanting bread, but he actually allows this to be a teaching opportunity where he tells them, honestly, I'm here for a lot more than bread. What I'm here is to do something more significant than you could ever fathom. And it's more than just to feed your stomach for the next few hours. It's to feed your soul for eternity. And this is where we pick up in John 6, starting in verse 32. This is what the Word of God says. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. But I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of God. Jesus says he came to do the will of God. And as far as that goes, you and I should really just follow Jesus' example, right? This is also what you and I should do. This is why we were born, to live out the will of God in our lives. Just like last week's was Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. And we considered, wow, that's, that, that's partly why I'm here as well. To, to testify of God's goodness. We, we also share, to some extent, Jesus' purpose here. Why He's walking on this planet. Why He walked on this planet. Why we are walking on this planet. To do the will of God. And I think many of us, we're being honest, get a little scared. Maybe that's underplaying it. We get terrified that we're going to miss the 
details of God's will. I remember for me, when it came to deciding what college, it was like the world was falling apart, right? The sky was falling because I wasn't sure if I was going to fall. And maybe I just overthink everything a little bit more than most other people do. But I was terrified. I was going to miss the will of God for Isaac Worley's life in that very moment. And what I think we tend to do is forget that we already know the big picture of God's will in our lives. Even if the details, the fine details, aren't clear. What shirt to wear, college to go to. The big picture is very known. He's not hiding His will from us. There are clear verses telling us what the will of God is. You can read 1 Thessalonians 5 and it says to give thanks always for this is the will of God. To be thankful. We have much to be thankful for. To do good, 1 Peter 2 says, is the will of God for you. Is to do good. 1 Thessalonians 4 says for your sanctification, that is your holiness, your process of becoming a more holy person. That's the will of God for your life. And there's so many others that are equally sure to be God's will for you because He commands them of you in Scripture. And so Christians, there's no question about it. God's will for you is to be an active, involved part of a local church. There's no question about it. God's will for you is to love your spouse if you're married. To be faithful to your spouse. If you have children, it's God's will for you to work to raising up God-fearing children. It's God's will for you. If you work, it's to work with a strong work ethic and to do it honestly. That's God's will for your life. Right? To have a clean language to be sexually pure, to care for the oppressed, to provide for the oppressed and the vulnerable, to be a good steward of your money, to be generous always. These things are the will of God in your life. And I think we could spend our whole life chasing those things which we know are God's will, and yet we just fret about the little things that we don't know of God's will. We can spend our whole lives living out what we do know is God's will for our lives. Jesus came to do the will of God. And yet, I think, obviously, Jesus accomplishes the will of God in a way that you and I never could, right? By providing salvation for God's people, that's obviously something you and I could never do. Even if God decreed the salvation of your your neighbor before the foundations of the world, you can't make that happen the way Jesus does, right? So Jesus came to do the will of God in a very unique way. We see, and just go back to the text, verse 38, 39, that Jesus, according to the will of God, would keep God's people and securing their salvation 
It says, for I've come down to, from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me. Don't you love that? Like, well, what do you think he came to do? What was the will of God? I love it. Very next sentence. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So that's what he came to do, was to secure the salvation of God's people and then glorify them to eternity one day. If we just read on to the next verse, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus came to accomplish this salvation which is God's will. That's why Jesus came for Christmas 2,000 years ago. And actually, I think we can even tease that a little bit more. That's what we're going to do for the rest of our time here. This gives us two reasons to celebrate for Christmas. So especially if you are visiting, you're like trying to figure out this whole thing about God, why make it a big deal? This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because two things. Firstly, we celebrate Christmas because God has a plan to save his people. It's his will. He loves to save people. And so we celebrate Christmas for that. God has a plan to save his people. And secondly, Jesus submitted to this will to make it happen. So why Christmas? Why do Christians make a big thing of Christmas? It's because God had a will that he would save his people. And Jesus made it happen. That's why Christmas. Now let's consider the first one. It's God's will to save his people. You know, God could have done otherwise. He could have given us up to our sins because he does that. Romans 1, verse 23 through 25, if you look at that, God gives people up to their sins. The lusts of the flesh. He could have done that. He could have prepared a future judgment for us because he does that. Proverbs 16, 4. He does those things, but instead he came up with a plan to save his people and not leave them in their sins. Not to prepare a judgment for them, but to save them. I went on a big trip with my family. We had planned for years uh, overseas, and I've talked about it before. Um, And kind of leave it up to the parents, you know, because... To, to do the planning and all that stuff. Uh, I was, I think, like a junior in high school. And so my siblings and I were all in high school. So we planned it out. Well, we knew we were going. And leave it to my parents, to the rest of the planning. We get over there. And I kid you not, if you ever see them, ask them about it. I'm not lying. We get over there, and my dad says, so, what do you guys want to do? <laughs> and I... We're like, what do you got? Where are we going? Where's our first hotel? 
I don't know. You know, I think, uh, is there like websites you can look? Like, is there like a hostel somewhere? Like, let's have some fun. Well, how are we going to get there? Aren't there taxis by the, at the airport? I think we can go find a taxi. Let's wave one down. That's what they do in London. Dad, where's our itinerary? We got none, son. What are you talking about? <laughs> I just had no plan at all. My dad's just a very free spirit. And uh, it stressed us out so bad. Because he had no, I mean, I don't even think he, the man looked up on Google Maps how far apart everything was in Europe. I mean, he's like, well, I think you can take a train up to, I'm like, Dad, that's eight hours of a train ride, Do you, or, or a taxi ride. And so anyway, we, he had no itinerary, he had no plan, and it was very stressful. And that's the exact opposite of how God works. Thank you, Jesus. God's plan is so articulated, so planned out to the most minute detail that it says that he had planned it, the salvation of his people, since the foundations of the world. God's a planner. God's a planner. It was so elaborate that he had it, according to the prophets, planned out that the Son of God would be born of a virgin. He'd be a Nazarite. He'd be from the tribe of Judah, specifically. He would be free from sin. And then whenever he got to a certain age, he would be, quote-unquote, crushed as a sacrifice for God's people. That's Isaiah 53. I mean, the, the details of God's plan to save His people go all the way down to the very donkey Jesus rode on in His way into Jerusalem. God thought, thought it all out. He thought it all out. Even down to the people, who they would be, that would end up crucifying Jesus. It was all God's will. All God's plan. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. It says, Herod, Pontius Pilate, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had predestined should happen. God left no things unchecked or unconsidered. It's a very elaborate plan. And this just shows how much God loves His people, doesn't it? It just shows how much He loves you. So just hear that this morning. This plan, down to the finest detail that God thought through before the world began, shows how much He loves you and wants eternity with you. And it shows how confident God is that nothing's going to stop Him from making it happen. From saving those who he gave to the Son. Let me read verse 39 and 40 again. Look how just, listen how confident God is. He's like, I thought this all through. I'm going to make it happen. Nothing's stopping me. This will take place. John 6, 39 and 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose 
nothing of all that he's given me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Do do you see the confidence there? I hope you see the confidence. Verse 39, if you're looking at it, does not say that God willed that Jesus would keep most of his people. It doesn't say that. It's not that he's going to lose a few of them, but he netted out okay. He would lose none of them. Verse 40 does not say that it was, this is the will of my father that most of those who believed at one time would make it into heaven. Right? It, just, it just doesn't say that. God didn't leave any room for error on these kinds of things. It says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. So, this shows God's elaborate plan. It shows how much God loves His people, wants eternity with them, and it shows His confidence that it's going to happen. And so, let's make this applicational for you and I. You and I should share this confidence in the will of God that His people will be saved. That He will see to it that they will be saved. So, God's assurance of salvation for His people. Some would say, well, that just means we should kick up our feet, do nothing, God's, got, God's going to make it happen anyway, right? This confidence doesn't mean that we should just kick back our feet, forget about evangelism, because Jesus isn't going to lose anybody that the Father gave him. Everybody who the Father gives him is going to believe. That's what it says. So why evangelize? That, that, that's what some would say, and that, that is not what I think this confidence in God's will should lead us to do or believe. You know, I've never met, to this day, I've never met a parent who ignores discipling their child because if God wills, they're going to believe, they're going to believe. I've just never met that parent. I've never met the parent that says, well, why bother? (laughs) Why tell them about Jesus? Why take them to church? God will take care of it if it's His will. So why would we ever then act that way about our neighbor? Why would we ever act that way about the person around the world? Right? What God's confidence in accomplishing His will for the salvation of His people should mean for us isn't laziness with evangelism, but what it means is that we should still do our part, we should still evangelize, but then we can go to bed at night and sleep well. That God's going to do His part too. You can sleep well at night. And I don't know about you, I know for me, I sometimes get so anxious about the people I love most dearly. And my family, who don't know Jesus, it's so anxious about them. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I start to feel the weight weighing down on me 
that if they make it to the grave without a profession in Christ, it's all my fault. I start getting so anxious that that just weighs on me. Isaac, you've got to make it happen. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. Read John 6. God is confident. He will not lose His people. He will not lose His people. So does that mean I stop evangelizing? No. I do my part, but then I sleep well at night that God does His part. We should do our part, but always know that He who is able to do more than you could ever do will accomplish his will. So we celebrate Christmas because God has a plan which He's confident in to save His people. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But secondly, we celebrate Christmas not just because God had a plan to save His people, but because Jesus submitted to this will and made it happen. You see in verse 38, it says, For I have come down. I'm going to say that little phrase again. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. I know it's six chapters into the gospel account of Jesus' life, but I swear, this is a Christmas text. This is a Christmas text because of how much Jesus wants to emphasize that He came down from heaven. I think it's eight times I don't think it's going to be on the screen, but if you've got your Bible open, follow along with me. You can see that I'm not making this up. He says it consistently through this passage that he came down from heaven. It's like Jesus wants to emphasize it or something. But let me read, starting in verse 32, the first verse we read. He says, For my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Verse 42, how does this Jesus now say, I have come down from heaven? Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. Verse 51, I am the bread or the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. In verse 58, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. It's almost as if Jesus wants to emphasize something. <laughs> it's a Christmas text. You ever work something out so much that you just about got it, and then you're missing one beansy beansy little detail which ruins it all that you can't accomplish it like I don't know building a, I was actually going to point to Jeff to, to building a car or something and then you just are missing one little part now the car just won't turn over Jesus is the key component to God's salvation plan happening Jesus coming down from heaven is the essential element to God's salvation plan for His people. It wouldn't be Christmas if God planned it, but the key player got sick on game day. Like our little kiddos. Right? <laughs> we have to cancel the nativity scene because our kiddo's sick. 
Christmas is a celebration that not only God planned it, but Jesus made it happen. He came down from heaven to actually do it. And if you, can we get theological for just a few minutes? Because theology is good. Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. He says, I, I, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That teaches some theology there. Firstly, Jesus submitting to the will of the Father and coming down from heaven shows us the pre-existence of Jesus, that He's divine, right? Jesus isn't like Mohammed. He's not. Jesus isn't like Joseph Smith. Jesus is pre-existent and pre-eternal, and He came down from heaven Because the Father sent him. Jesus is divine. He's God who took on flesh. And yet, while being pre existent like the Father and being divine like the Father, there's a chain of command in the Trinity because Jesus submits to the will of him who sent him. So, in this one sentence, we see the divinity of Christ, the pre-eternal nature of the incarnate Son, and yet we also see His submission in the chain of command of the Trinity. Right? And I don't think this should surprise us. God is a God of order. Not anarchy. Not of disorganization. All throughout Scripture, we see that citizens are to be under governments, and governments rule citizens. Husbands are the head of wives. Parents are over their children. The church presides over the congregants. These are all dictated out by God in His Word, because God is a God of order. And so, it's no surprise here that He even shows this in how he himself functions as one being, yet multiple persons. There's a chain of command. He's a God of order. So we see that in this text. But I think most beautifully, in this sentence in verse 38, that he didn't come down to do his will, but to do the will of the Father who sent him. We see the love of Jesus for you. We see the love of the Father for you that he would send his one and only Son to die. We see the love of the Father, but we see the love of the Son that the Son said, yes, I'll do it. It wasn't like He was coerced. His arm was twisted by the Father. No, actually in John 10, 18, if you want to write it down, Jesus even says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Thank God that the Father loves you so much that He would send His only Son for you. And thank God that Jesus loves you so much that he said, yes, I'll do it. So, in wrapping up, if, if I were just to sit across the table from any one of you individually and just talk about this text, and what, what, what can we get out of this? I'll just say two things to you. As if this were like a coffee conversation. First, looking at this text, I'd encourage you Follow the example of Jesus and submit to the will of God in your life. 
Submit to the will of God in your life. That includes everything that I mentioned earlier. A holy life. Investing in your family. Evangelizing. Generosity. These are the will, wills of God for you, for you. But maybe there's also something specific that God is maybe tugging on your heart about this morning. And I would say submit to the will of God in your life. Maybe it's giving your life to Christ. Acknowledging Him as Lord and Savior. Submit to the will of God in your life. Maybe it's making a profession of faith before others, getting baptized. Come talk to me. Let's, let's make that happen as you submit to the will of God in your life. Or maybe, maybe just maybe, it's vocational ministry. And you're never too old for that. Maybe, guys, pastoral ministry might be something that's knocked on your door before and you've just been too scared to consider it. Or missions. Right? Our Lottie Moon focus shouldn't just be financial, should it? It should also be a consideration. God, are you sending me this year to be the missionary that Emmanuel's funding? And then to have a heart of submission to the will of God who is calling you to it. Maybe the will of God for you is to confess that sin that you've just been harboring and not wanting to talk about. Submit to the will of God in your life. Follow Christ's example and live that out. And when it comes to any of those, that's scary. We would just have already done it. It's scary, though, to submit to the will of God. And so there's going to be people up here just a few minutes that will... Love to pray with you about that, talk with you about that. I myself would love the opportunity to talk to you about that, about any of those. Secondly, not just follow Christ's example in submitting to the will of God, but if I were sitting across the table from you, talking about this verse, talking about this text, I would say, make sure to celebrate this Christmas. Not with just all the festivities of movies, but because of the real reason for Christmas, the advent of Christ to do the will of God for your salvation and my salvation. Celebrate this Christmas. Make sure you really set aside time this Christmas to celebrate that God had a plan since the foundations of the world to bring about salvation to his people. And then Jesus said, I'll make that happen. I'll go do it. And so we celebrate Christmas. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 